Hello, hockey fans. This is Mark Willand. Before we begin the show, just a reminder that the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast supports the Warrior for Life Fund charity. If you follow social media, you saw our recent alumni weekend series between the Boston Bruins and New York Ranger legends to benefit the Warrior for Life Fund and the Navy SEALs Foundation. Through the game of hockey, the Warrior for Life Fund provides programs and infrastructure that helps military families cope with the unique challenges of combat, extended deployments, and disabilities. The Warrior for Life Fund will memorialize the history and heritage of military service and honor those who have unselfishly given the ultimate sacrifice. We are proud to be associated with these real-life heroes. To learn more, please visit warriorforlifefund.org. Thank you. Welcome to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast, the voice of hockey legends. This is the classic hockey show for classic hockey fans. We celebrate the history of the game with stories told by the select few who actually lived it. Get ready for an all-access pass to the heart of the hockey universe. Welcome to episode 56 of the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast, a special edition of the show in which we'll look back at the life and career of 22-year NHL veteran Dean Prentice, who passed away on November 3rd, 2019. In addition, I'll review the recent alumni series between the Boston Bruins and New York Rangers, a home-and-home -home battle that featured six Hockey Hall of Famers. I was there for all of it, and I thought you might want to Here's some of the behind-the-scenes insights from a great weekend of classic hockey. As always, we appreciate the great reviews we've been getting everywhere, especially on iTunes, where your reviews, ratings, and subscriptions make the show far more visible to hockey fans around the world. Our audience was great from day one, but has grown significantly in 2019, and you, the fans, have made that happen. I can't thank you enough for your support. It happened in historic Chicago Stadium, December 27, 1964. Boston Bruins winger Dean Prentice blocked a Stan Mikita shot at the blue line and took off for the Blackhawks net. While speeding towards the goal, Prentice was tripped from behind by Mikita and crashed into the rear boards. Referee Frank Udvare ruled that Makita tripped the Bruins winger on a clear breakaway and Prentice was awarded a penalty shot. However, Prentice was sprawled on the ice unconscious. Through the fog of pain and only slightly revived as a result of the trainer's cracking and ammonia sniffer under his nose, Prentice heard the taunts of his fierce Blackhawk opponent, Bobby Hull. Come on, Dean, Hull said. 
You're not going to let one of your dummy teammates take the penalty shot for you, are you? Hull's piercing words hit a nerve. The wounded Bruin pushed aside the pain, took up the challenge, jumped to his feet, grabbed the puck at center ice, sped in on the goal, pulled a nifty move and tucked the puck behind Blackhawk goalie Dennis DiGiorgi. Back on the Bruins bench after his goal, the unexpected. Prentice tried to answer the call for his next shift, but he was frozen to the bench. His back and legs would not move. Dean was carried off the ice on a stretcher, and x-rays later revealed that he had a broken back. Dean Prentice had pulled off an unparalleled feat in NHL history, scoring a goal with a broken back. His reward? A goal and a body cast that would force him to miss the remainder of the season. 22-year NHL veteran Dean Prentice passed away on November 3, 2019 at the age of 87. Between 1952-53 and 1973-74, Dean Prentice played in 1,378 regular season NHL games with the New York Rangers, Boston Bruins, Detroit Red Wings, Pittsburgh Penguins, and Minnesota North Stars. Over that time, he scored 391 goals and assisted on 469 more for 860 points. Dean scored 20 more goals with all five teams he played for and appeared in five NHL All-Star games. He was a second-team NHL All-Star in 1959-60 after scoring a career-high 32 goals with the New York Rangers. Later in his career with the Minnesota North Stars, Dean was one of the first NHL players to publicly commit his life to Christianity, and he and his wife June continued to be ambassadors for Christianity long after Dean's playing career ended. In this conversation with Dr. Larry Bryce of Reach Out for Life Ministries, Dean recalled his spiritual awakening and how it contributed to a strong conclusion to his outstanding NHL career. Well, I think it comes from the Lord changed from the inside, changed me from the inside out. I was, I was aggressive. I didn't weigh that much. I only weighed the uh, first 10 years in the National League. I only weighed 165 pounds. Then I give up smoking. I went up to 180. And then I was a lot stronger. But uh, playing the game the Lord's way. Yes, we, we, we all try to uh, let me be cheat on the face-offs. Do a little cheating just to get that face-off. <laughs> you know, or to uh, take a guy out. But I play with inside the rules now. After I invited okay. Christ in, I played with inside the rules. It actually changed the way you played the game. Right. And also I played for his honor. Before I was playing for me, for Dean Prentice, the macho type hockey player. But now God changed my heart. Therefore, I was playing for his glory. And, and, uh, and he blessed me. Praise God. Because that, that year, uh, at the age of 40, I had 26 goals. And so that, that was a, a pretty good high. Terrific. My highest was ever was 32 goals back in wow. 1958. Okay. By the age of 40, I had 26. Upon hearing the news of Dean's passing, I spoke with Minnesota hockey icon and former Minnesota North Star Lou Nanny, who shared memories of Dean as a teammate and friend. 
Well, you're right. We played together a year, he and I and Murray Oliver, and we had a very good year collectively. It uh, it was a lot of fun, and uh, to play with someone like him who had such a long and illustrious career uh, was really a benefit to a guy like me. Uh, he was, first of all, he was a great, great person, great family man, great teammate, great guy to be around at all times. And, uh, you know, I played with him for a couple of years and, and really enjoyed my time with him. Just, uh, he's the kind of person that was the same every day, win, lose, or draw. He always had the same personality. He was always approachable, always, uh, you know, willing to talk and help in any way he could with any anything he went to him with. And, and he was an outstanding player to boot. Lou, players like Dean, who played primarily in the six-team NHL, you know, he ended up with, I was kind of surprised when I look back at it, 391 goals. Many of them scored in the, in the six-team league. I feel like guys like Dean sometimes are a little underappreciated uh, by maybe today's fans because, uh, you know, again, he played a long time. He had 20 goals with five different teams. But is he somebody that you could, would consider to be a potential Hockey Hall of Famer? Well, uh, you know, the... Uh... <laughs> When you look at what he did in the era he did it, and you would think that he would be candidate for it, uh, you know the today's Hall of Fame guys and the people go in statistics and, and numbers are, are are quite different. And uh, I think as you go away from when he played and being you know finished so long ago, it's tough to get a, a guy like that back in. But he had a he had a type of Hall of Fame career, and as you said, 20 goals with five different teams. 20 goals was a lot of goals in that era. Mm-hmm. And uh, he definitely was uh, a terrific hockey player, and one that uh, would be worthy of uh, having his name discussed about the Hall of Fame. In a recent New York Post column, hockey writer Larry Brooks notes that Dean's career numbers stack up against other players from his era who made it into the Hall of Fame. And I quote from Larry. So I was thinking about Dean Prentice, the outstanding left winger who skated on a line with Andy Bathgate on the right and Larry Popine in the middle on some pretty good Ranger teams in the latter part of the 1950s. The winger, who played through 1973-74, retired with 860 points in 1,378 games for .624 points per game. His name is never mentioned when the annual balloting rolls around. Yet winger Dick Duff, a contemporary, was inducted into the Hall in 2006 after a career in which he recorded 572 points in 1,030 games for .555 points per game. It makes little sense that, except that Duff won six Stanley Cups with Toronto and Montreal, while Prentice won zero while skating with the Rangers, Bruins, Red Wings, Penguins, and North Stars. But how many do you think each would have won if they'd exchanged sweaters throughout their respective careers? End of quote. Well, that's a good question worth considering. Odds are, however, that Dean wasn't concerned about Hall of Fame honors. As noted, he spent the bulk of his post-career making a positive impact in the world. Dean McGlynn, a chaplain from Hockey Ministries International, knows firsthand that Dean Prentice was a Hall of Famer as a human being. 
So uh, I met Dean um, about 42 years ago when he came to my small little church in Bramford, Connecticut, when he was a coach with the New Haven Nighthawks, uh, who were at that time a major affiliate to the uh, North Stars. And uh, so solid Christian then. Um, and not long after that, Don Lisver had started Hockey Ministries, and that was just a perfect fit for Dean and June. And they are a couple that really did the ministry together. They really worked together as a team. Uh, Dean would uh, work the hockey schools. He would uh, travel wherever he needed to be traveled. He would do a lot of speaking. Um, that slowed down in the later years, and then he finally did have to uh, take retirement as he was slowing down a little bit. But uh, probably... Uh, you know, they were full time with uh, with uh, hockey ministries, um, doing everything from on ice to off ice to presentations. Uh, you name it, whatever the um, uh, they uh, they needed, uh, Dean and June were there to take care of it. What was your impression of Dean uh, and his demeanor? Obviously, he played 22 years in the National Hockey League, and as he noted in an earlier piece, he kind of adjusted his game at the end of his career. No cheating, uh, didn't take any liberties. Uh, but I, I, my question is, I always had a sense when I would see him being interviewed, uh, a sense of peace, calm, and contentment uh, from him. And my question is, is what was your impression of Dean just uh, dealing with him on a personal basis? So uh, we had kind of a special relationship. Uh, I can relate a couple of stories that may uh, shed some light on that. Um, I had lost my dad when I was nine years old, and um, I was uh, um, playing hockey at the time in Connecticut at a time when it was in the early 70s when it was essentially a hockey desert. There were no Brian Leaches or or, uh, Jonathan Quick, anything like that, and... um, I uh, had a father-son hockey game that would be down at East David Rink, and I think probably June worked the back channels on that with my mother, and uh, Dean offered to come out and skate, you know, or maybe I asked him, I don't remember, uh, and um, he was just as gracious as you could be out there, obviously a 22-year veteran, the other fathers were ankle skating, and he's dishing the puck off and and everything else and having fun with the kids and uh, was just wonderful uh in that regard just happy to to share with kids and other fathers they're just you know not there's no real rough edge to them at all Mm -hmm. and then um and then we had a hockey banquet and um he and i he he uh offered to come with me to that i think again june probably working the back channels on that (laughs) with my mother and so i we went to this and there was a small banquet uh, in a church basement in Hampton, Connecticut. The keynote speaker was uh, uh, the local high school coach and won a few state championships. And there was Dean sitting with me, you know, maybe it's a few rows, but in the center. And the coach, you know, Dean's a pretty distinguished looking guy. And um, he saw Dean there and I think probably a little intimidated. He's going to talk <laughs> high school hockey and he's got a 22-year veteran. So he asked him, he says, I, I see Dean President. He goes, Dean, are you a speaker as well? And, uh, you know, Dean had many things he could have said, and he just said, nope, I'm here as a parent. And I want to tell you, wow. a, little redheaded guy, a little red-headed guy kind of sat up in his seat and kind of looked around. You know, it was just a very, what a, what a just a classy thing to say. You know, just I was never more proud to be with him at that point, and he just, um, just handled it so well. And, uh, and that was Dean all the way through. I mean, he, I would go to his house, because we went to the same church for – Bible studies, and all through high school, I used his hockey sticks. He was just as kind and as gracious 
Um, Dean was not a big talker. Uh, I did more with action, but when he said stuff, it was always, it was always, you know, as I say, deep wells, uh, uh, quiet waters run deep, as they say. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that, I, I, I wouldn't know the other side of his demeanor. I know um, some old uh, Dean Prentice stories. Um, uh, uh, he was, you know, that was the original six. Uh, these are these are 106 exclusive players who played pretty tough. You know, nice. uh, so so yeah, he was. Uh, there was no doubt that he could handle himself out there, but he he should have been in the Hall of Fame. That was kind of a, a, a fluke that he didn't get in. But um, you know, he's one of the top 250 score original 250 scores. Him, Gordy Howe. I think they're all in the Red Wings at the time. I have a picture of it. Uh, him, Gordy Howe, Del Vecchio. Uh, I'm trying to think who the uh, Normie Ullman. I think one other guy. I can't remember. But uh, yeah, he, no, he was. He was probably a tough guy, but like uh, Gordy Howe, he could put the puck in the net. He had almost 400 goals, I think. So, yeah, he had almost 400 goals playing, as you noted, the bulk of his career in the six-team NHL. And as we just talked with Lou Nanny, uh, his teammate in Minnesota, uh, yeah, yes, Lou. Yep. It's uh, no, Lou, Lou had uh, talked about, uh, early in the show, had, had talked about Dean and his influence on him. They were line mates with Murray Oliver in Minnesota. However, yeah. we were talking, you know, I had this discussion with Johnny Busick one time, and just thinking, putting it in perspective, when Dean Prentice played and did most of his scoring, there were essentially 24 defensemen in the entire league, and there were six goalies in the entire league. So every night you're playing against a Hall of Famer, um, every yep. night uh, you're playing against the top four defensemen on each team and only 24 in the entire league. So his accomplishments, we didn't want to have forgotten both his accomplishments on the ice and off. And obviously he made an impact on you. And I greatly appreciate you sharing those very uh, poignant stories. And they really helped tell the complete picture of Dean Prentice. And uh, we thank you very, very much. Happy to do it. Uh, great man. And uh, looking forward to seeing him uh, one day in heaven. I wanted to take a quick look back to the October 26th and 27th Alumni Classic weekend between the Boston Bruins and New York Rangers alumni. And first, of course, uh, the first game was played at Bentley University in Massachusetts. The second was played at Madison Square Garden. Now, the, the first one was to benefit the Warrior for Life Fund, and we've talked about that earlier in the show, and we're very enthusiastic about this very worthwhile charity. And coordinating from the Bruins alumni end and from the charity end was Frank Simonetti, who just does an incredible job. The amount of obstacles that get thrown in your way in events like this, the last second, you got to keep a cool head, you got to keep organized, and you got to stay persistent. And he was and pulled off a uh, tremendous weekend, the first game in particular, because that's where most of our concentration was logistically, and then coordinating everything for a smooth trip to New York as well. So, Tremendous job there, as well as Tony Cabana from Cross Insurance, who really spearheaded the entire Warrior for Life Fund charity. And he played for the Bruins alumni this weekend uh, in both games, ended up getting injured uh, towards the end of the uh, uh, Madison Square Garden game, but uh, appeared to be none the worse for wear on the, the bus ride home after that. But want to make a few observations on that, that Friday night, the 25th, we we had a reception at the Tuscan Kitchen, the seaport in Boston. Uh, food was tremendous, and the service was great. And, you know, you're looking around that room, 
and I, I attended with my wife. We had a great time. You're, you're looking around the room and you're saying, boy, if you're a, a hockey fan and you're looking at, you know, guys like Brad Park and Rod Gilbert, Jean Vertel and Joey Mullen and Rick Middleton and Ron Greshader and Ray Bork and you could go on and on. Uh, just a tremendous experience. And never mind the Navy SEALs and military heroes that were there as well. So that was great. I sat next to Tom Laidlaw for the beginning of the night, and we talked about his recent experiences on CBS's Survivor, which I believe he had just been voted off uh, when we had discussion. But I'd follow him on Instagram. You can follow him on Instagram, and he has uh, very more. He has a True Grit uh, podcast, and um, he has a Instagram site that's a lot of fun too. So I would suggest looking at that. I also couldn't help but notice. Uh, Ron Greshter and our good friend Rick Middleton talking and looking at them and thinking that, you know, Gresh played, nice guy, by the way, played 17 years for the New York Rangers and came up around the same time as Nifty did. And Nifty ended up playing two. And what could have been in New York uh, had they not parted with with Nifty? And, you know, speaking of trades, especially at this time of year, um, because of the anniversary of the big trade, uh, which sent Espo and Vadney to New York for uh, Brad Park and John Rattel and Joe Zanussi, too. You can't forget that. And you think of how that trade impacted the Boston Bruins as the 75-76 season. Harry Sinden could tell that Bob Yor was on uh, you know, the end of his career at that point. He only played 10 games that season. It wasn't known at the time, but you know, for 10 games, he, he actually... He actually saw one of the games, too, against Kansas City. He actually paired the power play. Brad Park on one point and Bobby Orr on the other. Pretty impressive. But key to that deal was that Rattel and Park really assimilated into Don Cherry's Bruins. They really uh, you know, were great team guys. And when you look at that season, for most franchises, losing the greatest player in the history of the game, we've talked about it before in the podcast, could have sent the entire franchise into a spiral, downward spiral. However, Parker Rattel fit right in. We're outstanding. About mid-season, Jerry Cheevers came back from the World Hockey Association's Cleveland Crusaders. And in the offseason, of course, Rick Milton and Peter McNabb uh, were picked up from the Rangers and Sabres, respectively. And all of a sudden, the Bruins had... Uh, ignited uh, their franchise again and were back in business. We had a great team for the next five or six years. The next day, a game at the, at, it said Bentley University Arena. Beautiful place. New arena. Tremendous. I hope we play there again. It was great. And um, first thing you notice, of course, it's a special game. A lot of autograph seekers out there. A lot of fans waiting uh, for the players to arrive and we're waiting for the Rangers bus. So that was nice, and the turnout was good, too. You know, it wasn't a, a ton of lead-up time to this event, so to be able to, again, get a good crowd there and an enthusiastic one was a great accomplishment, too. Uh, Nikki Fatio, uh, who lives on Cape Cod, he actually wasn't in the on the roster but was a late addition, so it was great to see him, of course, for a, uh, the favorite whaler in their first year at Hartford and would always have been the favorite ranger during his years there. You know, I saw Joe Mullen, Brian Mullen, and Nick Fatiu. They had a picture taken. And I was talking with Brian Mullen about that a little bit later. 
and you, you think you look at those guys from from New York, uh, just from the you know Hell's Kitchen in, in the Mullins case, I think Staten Island from from Nikki's case, and you see that they made a big impact. They all had long careers in the National Hockey League, of course. Uh, Brian Mullen was an NHL All-Star. Joey was a uh, Hall of Famer. Uh, Nicky was just uh, such a valuable contributor to every team he played on with the physical role. But you think of the impact of Emile the Cat Francis had and his emphasis on amateur hockey in New York in the 60s and 70s and uh, the, the impact it had and still has today. As I you know, was, was talking with Brian, you'd, you'd love to see you know, Emile Francis recognized uh, in the rafters there at Madison Square Garden. But nonetheless, uh, as far as the game itself is concerned, very fast-paced. Wasn't your typical charity alumni game? You know, first of all, it was good to see uh, the the coaches. You know, Park Rattel, Gilbert Greshner, and Dave Maloney. Uh, so he had a star-studded group right there. And the Bruins end of it, uh, Brad Park was the coach, as was Ed Sanford, who uh, started the, the Bruins alumni so long ago and. He was the Bruins captain in the 54-55 season, and we've talked about him before. A special man, a special special person. I actually got to know him when he was an off-ice official and led the off-ice officials for the Boston Bruins in the 1980s and early 90s. During the playoffs, they would come into Hartford and be kind of the, the neutral uh, off-ice officials, so we get a chance to see them a lot. And Classy guy then and classy guy now. He looks great. And it was it was really good to see him as well. Steve Valiquette, he was the star of or one of the stars of the game for the Rangers in that first game in Bentley. It was five to two victory for the Rangers. Had to notice uh, Brad Richards. It looks like he could still play. And Brian Leach, who apparently hasn't been skating all that much, but sure didn't look at it look look like that during the game. Uh, he was the best player on the ice and uh, led them to uh, to a victory. So I, hey, it's a charity game and. We've got each team had Navy SEALs and military on the team. And the intensity level was, you know, everybody's having fun, a lot of camaraderie. But at the same time, once the puck dropped, uh, you know, the intensity certainly kicked up several notches. Uh, On to the bus, we went to New York after the game and ended up sitting next to Ken Lindsman. He's somebody I haven't really talked a lot to uh, during my stint with the Bruins alumni, but we ended up talking about the... WHA, of course, and the Birmingham Bulls and things like that. So it's good to get to know him. And um, hey, you never know, maybe we'll have him on the show at some point. Again, just being on the bus and hearing the stories, you, you know, Bork Park, Milton, you know, Bob Sweeney, Ken Hodge Jr., uh, go on and on. Just great stories. And that's not even kind of the great stories you hear from the Navy SEALs. Upon arriving in New York, we had a reception uh, at the hotel for for both teams and had a chance to talk to Brad Park a little bit. We had a little bit of a laugh because the last time I talked to Brad through necessity was at a rest stop in New Hampshire where I was trying to get uh, quotes from him for a tribute video I was doing for Rick Middleton. But uh, good catching up with Brad. Actually was reading his book on the, on the bus, Straight Shooter, which I believe came out in 2011. And it's an outstanding, uh, outstanding book. I would suggest picking it up on on Amazon as well. So uh, the next day we go to MSG. I had a just interesting visual uh, as we're heading over. The Bruins, the Boston Bruins and the New York Rangers also were, were playing that weekend, that Sunday night, and had a chance to see 
Patrice Bergeron, Zdeno Chara, and Tuka Rask out there talking with Bruins alumni. And I really feel like these guys, the Bruins have done a tremendous job with this. Of course, you know, I, I see it a lot, but the Bruins players, the current Bruins players, I think have a real appreciation for the players who have come before him. And um, they know each other well, and uh, certainly there's a lot of respect there. And it's obviously real good to see. Getting to Madison Square Garden, uh, the staff there is just, you know, they're great. They really appreciate the uh, history of hockey in New York and had a great chance talking with security guards and people around there. It was excellent. Everybody was extraordinarily helpful and extremely well organized. This was a very well coordinated event in New York as well. Um, youth hockey kids, kids out there skating uh, prior to. Uh, the game, they had a chance to go out there and skate with uh, Jay Wells and Stefan Mateau, which uh, both guys I talked to, and I was telling Stefan I regretted I was too late because I wanted to get a picture of him in the exact spot where he scored the Stefan Mateau goal at the playoffs, but uh, maybe next time. I missed that opportunity. I had a chance to talk to Jay Wells, who uh, looking good and personable as always. And you couldn't help but notice Adam Graves, who's done so much good work for the rangers in the community and the crowds that he draws when he so he came out to the bench area and there's just a onslaught of people all the players are well received but that 94 team in new york is there's no question those guys are are beloved and the all those ranger guys are i mean there's a great appreciation for all of them there's a special place for that stanley cup winning team no question about that uh the next day of just making a note i was at the bench area for the uh, Bruins, of course, and again, a lot of fun, a lot of intensity. Thinking pregame as Brad Park and Jean Rattel were both introduced to the crowd and thinking, you know, you'd love to see that number two in the Raptors at Madison Square Garden for Brad Park. Uh, they have other players, most recently Vic Hadfield, but certainly, you know, Brad had the a situation where his career is split in half. He had two great careers, really, with the Bruins and uh, and the Rangers, a little bit with Detroit as well. But his accomplishments in New York were highly significant. He was the second-best defenseman in hockey for a long time and I think deserves that recognition of having his number retired by the Rangers. As far as the game itself, just a few notes. Ron Duguay is in his 60s, looks like he's in his 30s, and... Uh, Whatever he's doing, I guess you know you might want to do it because uh, again he looks great skating really real, real well, and uh, again looked about half half his stated age there. Darius Kasparitis was all out in this game, playing at a very a very high high intensity level and played very well as well. In the end, though, Andrew Raycroft, former Calder Trophy winner in the National Hockey League. Uh, was outstanding for the Bruins in this game. He had a lot of great saves. Now, it may seem silly talking about the hockey aspects, but as I said, the game's intensity kind of warranted a recap. It, was, it went beyond your typical charity endeavor. Uh, Ken Linsman certainly learned that as he uh, went crashing into the boards after a uh, mishap with Brian Leach and hurt his knee and had to leave the game early. That night, we went out to a local restaurant with Ray Bork and the Bruins alumni staff, training staff, who are all just great people and worked their tails off. But uh, we all went out there at night, and I ended up getting locked into a <laughs> trivia contest, which focused on the WHA and the California Golden Seals. Now, figuring 
I'm going to completely dominate this thing. I was pretty cocky going into it, but I went ahead to have a John Horgan, who you've heard on the show before. And John has, if there's ever an example of a photographic memory, John certainly has it and a great appreciation for the history of the game. We locked horns. I have to call this one a draw. Um, I did pretty well with the Seals. We went toe-to-toe on the New York Raiders. And then finally, uh, the last trivia round was on the Philadelphia Blazers, uh, a team that I remember well, but not as well as John, apparently. He ended up beating me in that with ex-Bruin Pat Leahy moderating. So um, uh, that was a lot of fun. And uh, as I said, very humbling, no question. Uh, finally, uh, again, uh, the uh, next day, bus ride home back to uh, Bentley and a, a great weekend was concluded. There's a lot more I could talk about and I had some real nice conversations. You know, one thing I did notice was it was a lot of fun. It was, again, in New York, watching Brian Mullen and Joe Mullen escorting uh, their mom who came to the game and escorting her out after the game. And that was that was great to see. You think of the sacrifices the parents make and made. And, you know, their dad, of course, uh, worked at the uh, at Madison Square Garden. And it was a it was a good uh, good to see that as well. So, again, thanks to Frank Simonetti, uh, the New York Rangers, Madison Square Garden, the Warrior for Life Fund. All of it came together beautifully. And I think this is the beginning of something very special that can happen on an annual basis. Perhaps it would include other teams as well. Either way, very, very positive. And thanks for listening to uh, my memories of a, of a great weekend. Just one postscript to this show as I was completing the editing of the podcast. I got a text from Morris Lukowicz alerting me to the passing of another ex-Houston Arrows teammate. Now, recently, uh, Larry Hale had passed away. Last year, John Shella. A lot of details aren't available yet, so I'm not comfortable announcing it here. I will probably already have done that on our WHA Hockey Facebook page as details roll in. But that just underscores why I do this show and why you, the fans, support the show because these guys played in a very unique era era, and they have amazing stories to tell. It deserves to be told and deserves to be remembered. And this is another example of that. We don't live forever. And recently, you know, we've lost Ted Green, Dean Prentice, Larry Hale, Jim Gregory. And once these individuals have left us, uh, so do their stories. So to capture it here on the show is a great privilege and a great honor. And to show them the respect I believe they deserve is a tremendous opportunity. Again, I appreciate you for listening and making it all possible. I look forward to talking to you in our next episode. Thanks for listening to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast, the voice of hockey legends. Just a reminder to please consider giving the show a rating and or review on Apple Podcasts. The link is in the show notes. These ratings and reviews help us become a lot more visible and make the show more accessible to hockey fans everywhere. I personally read all the reviews and greatly appreciate them all. If you have thoughts or suggestions for the show, you can talk to, contact us through our website at ProHockeyAlumni.org or be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at ProHockeyAlumni. Thanks for listening. <laughs>